0: You're listening to the Upper Room Podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upperroomfrisco.com. So glad. All righty, all righty. Did you get that? Did you get that for the gram? Sweet, we did it for the gram. Oh, man, so good to be with you guys this evening. Uh, just uh, came from Reading, Denver, and then here. So, you know, just kind of going around the country. And uh, it's good I've known these guys for a long time. Uh, absolutely love Texas and love Upper Room. And I think I've, I've known uh, Freeland since 2005, 2006. And so it's been, it's been quite a journey. And uh, But it's so good to be with you guys I have a, a, a lot to share with you this evening. So get ready, like put your seatbelts on and uh, we're gonna have a lot of fun and we're gonna see God show up and it's gonna be really, really good. Um, <clears throat> I started off my year pretty crazy. If you would have asked me in December 2020 what I was doing in 2021, um, I would, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have been able to tell you what I've been doing this last year. January 10th I had a crazy dream uh, where I was stand- up paddleboarding. I'm a surfer uh, so I'm not like a big stand-up paddleboard guy which is very interesting you know uh, you know us surfers in the late 2000s, a lot more stand-up paddleboarders in the ocean and we didn't like them <laughs> and it just so speaks to like how like the old guard can't really receive the new guard type of thing but um, but anyways, God started having me stand up paddleboard and to pray. This was back in the uh, late 2010s. teens. I started a ministry called Catch the Wave, and it was awesome. And then 2020 was COVID, and I might talk about that a little bit. And, and so I know, whoa, I know we're in Texas. COVID doesn't exist in Texas. But anyways, <laughs> everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> we shot him. <coughs> <laughs> Sent him back to the Red River of Oklahoma. So, anyways, um, <coughs> oh man, this isn't being videoed, is it? No. Uh, so, anyways, <clears throat> uh, January 10th, I had a crazy dream and I was stand up paddle boarding Huntington Beach and uh, I saw this healing angel in my dream and he had this like golden scepter and he put it into the ocean floor at the Huntington Beach Pier. That's where I grew up. And he pulled up this gold netting and he started going south. And I'm like, I think I'm supposed to follow him on my paddle board. So I follow him from Huntington Beach to Newport to Balboa, Corona del Mar, on down the coast to San Clemente. And so Huntington Beach Pier is the most north pier of Orange County and San Clemente is the most south pier of Orange County. And so the angel gets to the pier at San Clemente and puts this golden-like netting into the ocean floor. And then I hear God's voice say, intercede. So I put my paddle down, I put my hands up, And this cloud of God's presence goes from the ocean over San Clemente, Orange County, California, and America. And I wake up from the dream. I'm halfway in, halfway out. And I hear the audible voice of God, not in my dream, but in my bed. And I hear hear his voice say February 2nd through the 6th. Now, I was not ready to paddle. That's 37 miles. I was not ready, physically ready, to paddle 37 miles. Like, so... You have Thanksgiving, you've got my daughter's birthday, you've got my birthday, you've got Christmas, you've got New Year's, then my wife and I's anniversary is January 8th. So that's like, I each, each one of those little events that I said, I gained probably two pounds. So I was a good 10 pounds over, you know, it was holiday weight. And I did not feel ready January 10th to, uh, to paddle, but I did it. I paddled 37 miles, it was pretty incredible and, uh, and I know you guys are up a room, so this would be perfect just to preach on that and preach on prayer. And I've been in this place of um, going, I do these long paddles, and it's almost like I'm in spiritual ketosis. You guys know what ketosis is? Yeah, like it's pretty amazing when you're paddling 10 miles a day and you're in prayer. And people have been getting saved on the beaches, people are getting saved. I mean, it's just amazing. And I think God is teaching the church how to be vertically connected in vertical intercession, vertically connected to God and heaven, while being connected to your city in horizontal intercession, that we're learning as a church how to be connected vertically and horizontally at the same time. He's breaking compartmentalization where you have like the evangelist over here in this group, and they're... Seven on the enneagram, and they're extroverted, and they can easily talk to people. Then you've got your prayer warriors that are a little bit more introverted, homebodies. Uh, I'm I'm the air troop, you know, like I'm not a ground troop. And the Lord wants to break the compartmentalization. That we're all prayer warriors, and we're all called to advance the kingdom of heaven. We're all called to the Great Commission. And it's amazing when actually they come together the way Jesus did. In Luke 9, we see it where he was with the people and he had compassion on them because he realized they were sheep without a shepherd and then he began to heal them. So right there is a great example of horizontal intercession. To move in horizontal intercession, you have to let your city, you have to let the people of your city cut you deep. That means you got to be with them. In order for them to cut you deep, you you, got to be with them. Probably ask them some questions. You probably shouldn't be dictating the conversation. Oh, some of you got a little crazy. (laughs) This isn't even my message, by the way. (laughs) But Jesus, he let them cut him deep where he was, wow, there's sheep without a shepherd. And then, but he didn't leave, his compassion didn't leave them in their pain. He was connected to heaven. So he pulled on heaven and then he began to heal them. It's so important to have that place of vertical and horizontal at the same time. And he begins, when you begin to let the land cut you deep, you begin to have authority in your land. The second round I did, I, I, I paddled 17 miles in one day at Camp Pendleton, and it was pretty awesome. But the Lord really was teaching me about feet. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Wherever your feet tread, he gives you that land as your inheritance That means we've got to get up and go. If we want authority in our city, we've got to, like, get around our city. I mean, Jesus climbed up a mountain and looked over Jerusalem and wept. Like, when's the last time you just went somewhere where there's people and you just begin to just connect with heaven, connect with the Father, and connect with people, and you begin to weep in intercession? letting people cut you deep. And then we'll begin to grow in authority. But anyways, you could check it out. I'll be coming out with, I'm coming out with a prayer documentary where we'll have episodes and that'll be coming out next month in May. And so just look out for that. And, you know, I'll probably be announcing it on social media and all that stuff. But you could see some of the prayer stuff I'm doing on social media where I've got like 30 second kind of clips and it's pretty Awesome. It's it's phenomenal because we're living in such a time of opportunity. So this is what I'll segue into. I mean, pretty crazy, right? Like the the season that we're in, it's amazing. Okay, so February of last year, I went to Australia. And when I was in Australia, there was people, you know, I was flying domestically. And, you know, half the people were wearing masks, half the people weren't. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And they're start telling me about Wuhan and I look it up and I'm just like god what's going on what are you doing and he says i'm teaching you in the church how to be anchored in my nature and not be swayed by the powers of the air on, yeah. and then we went into march lockdown and i'm from california so like the cali the hot spot we're we're the leaders We're the forerunners, you know? We're the one taking the hits for Texas, and so you're welcome. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to start joking around. and Don't worry, I'll be here all week. Be sure to tip your waitress. So I, I live next to a Trader Joe's, and hey, whoa, man, this, this rose locked in Trader Joe's. Wow. That's when you know it's like hungry people. Like, man, I woke up in the morning. You woke up in the morning. You're like, sorry. So, gosh, microphone a little too loud. Sorry. Sorry. So I went to Trader Joe's. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, let's move on. Let's move on. We're going to get there. There's a lot of other things to cover. I love these green chili, like, chicken burrito deals. And I showed up, and there was none. There was, they were all out. And I was like, what? And then I'm walking by another, like, aisle, and there's, like, people fighting over, like, toilet paper and stuff. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, what in the world is going on? So what is happening? <clears throat> I remember going to another store and watching two ladies in their 50s fist fight over the last roll of toilet paper. So what is the spirit screaming at you when you're watching two ladies fist fight over toilet paper? What's the spirit? Scarcity. Scarcity would be that. <laughs> I just thought of a joke. Never mind. Okay. Yeah, good. Woo. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So <clears throat> scarcity. What's the opposite of Scarcity. If you're going to be anchored in God's nature, what is the opposite of scarcity? Abundance. Abundance. And I have been mentored by Heidi and Roland Baker. So I've been to Mozambique over 15 times. I've seen rice multiply. I've seen chickens multiply. I've seen Christmas presents multiply. I mean, that, like, you definitely, she wrote a book, There's Always Enough, that's a manifestation of abundance, of, of the Father being our provider, that we don't have to worry. He takes care of the, the birds of the air. So, so what is a manifestation of living in abundance? It's like, it's like an open book test or something like that. <laughs> Generosity. I've got so much that I have to give away. So whenever I would show up to the store, this is what I would do. Because, you know, I'm a very practical person. When God says, hey, I'm going to teach you in the church. So I'm like, first learning this lesson, how to be anchored in me and not be swayed, not be dismayed by the powers of the air. So I'm like, okay, God, what are you saying? And he starts saying, I want to. You need to break this spirit by moving in generosity. Buy people's groceries. So every time I showed up to the store and we were, I was missing something in my list, I'm like, okay, whose groceries am I buying? Because I'm not going to submit to that spirit of scarcity, of fear. I'm going to be anchored into God's nature that there is more than enough. So I've got so much that i got to give away what I have in the midst of people, you know, grabbing groceries. People in 2020 were just like freaking out. The prophets are all wrong and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, okay. All right, and God just began to speak to me about just the times that we're living in, that we're living in some amazing times. Do you guys understand history has a tendency of repeating itself? You guys ever heard that before? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it's important to know what he's done in the past because he'll do that in our present and we could hold on to that and trust in that for our future. And so I love, like you have to understand, Western culture, they called it the dark ages, Western civilization. Like they were stuck not for like decades, but for hundreds of years. Just like short of a thousand years, they were stuck in the dark ages. Then you have the bubonic plague and that generation... That goes through the bubonic plague, birth the Renaissance and Reformation. I don't, I don't know if you fully understand what I'm bringing up. You're talking about a society, civilization that's stuck for like eight hundred years. The, they called it the Dark Ages, yeah. and then you have the bubonic plague, and then that births out of a generation, moving out of that disease, Reformation and Renaissance, where you have innovation, you've got creativity. You know, one of the building blocks of Reformation is empowerment to the people. That's one of the foundational places of manifestation of Reformation is empowerment. And the people of the church were hearing messages that weren't even in their language. The Bible was in Latin. They couldn't even read the Bible for themselves. And then innovation happened where they invented the printing press and they were able to print the Bible in English. We have the internet that would be equivalent to the printing press of the 1500s. This just gives you a little bit of an idea of the opportunity that we're living in. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm encouraging myself up here. You have to understand, like, this is what God does. Like, enemy is putting cards down, and you have to understand what we move in the opposite spirit. Like, we have, God cares about human beings. That's why he cares about numbers. And we have the most people on the planet, like, we have this we have COVID, you know, uh, in, in the world. And so it disrupts industries, it disrupts countries. And so you have more people that aren't commuting to work, more time on their hands, more uncertainty, you know, where people are crying out to God. There's 8 billion people on the planet. You have the most people in the history of mankind crying out to God right now. What do you, how do you think God responds to that? We have atheists that are like, oh man, like, People are dying. People, I'm not going to work. God, if you're real, will you reveal yourself? Whatever way they're praying that prayer. But there's probably people crying out to God that have never cried out to God before. That gets me excited. Because God responds. He raises people up. Jesus. All right, I'm going to read you this scripture. We'll make this a legal meeting. And uh, this is Romans. This is uh, a scripture that's been probably the last three years I've just been reading over and over and meditating on. In Romans 15, verse 13. You guys good? Jesus. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Another translation would be, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in those that trust in him. That word believing is this place of trust, which is really a place of surrender, which is a place of worship. Did you guys follow that? It's actually what it is, is the doorway of trust will lead you into the God of hope. It's through the doorway of trust that you walk in that you discover the God of hope. That's, that is the way that you begin. And then when you begin to discover the God of hope, it gives you all peace and joy. But it first comes from walking through the doorway of trust. The world is longing to discover peace and joy. They're longing to discover the God of hope. And it's through the place of trust, through the place of surrender. It's an act of worship. Jesus. So I had a pretty crazy season 2000, the end of 2014 to 2018 were pretty crazy years for me. It was the the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, it was like awesome God stuff happening. And then we had some crazy trials, some crazy, you know, not, first of all, let me just say this, not everything that happens in your life that's bad is the devil. Sometimes we as Christians give the devil way, way too much credit. Like, I got a flat tire. I was late for work. The devil is after me today. Some of you are like, wait, what? <laughs> Jesus. I'm just saying that I went through circumstances. I went through, so there was a, somebody that stole 15 grand from us. I went, had three surgeries. There were seven deaths. My wife and I had a miscarriage. So there was a lot of stuff that happened in a few years. And, you know, it was definitely hitting me. And I would overcome, like, you know, uh, like I got introduced, like Chad's seen all these miracles. And yeah, it's been amazing. And that brings responsibility. When we cry out for revelation, we want more of God, revelation of who he is. That revelation will bring responsibility, which then brings accountability. You're accountable for what you know. When you see and you experience something, it changes your life. That's the transformation power of Jesus. And therefore, you live in that place of transformation. So, I've seen amazing stuff. And then I started going through, you know, just some hard stuff. We had a miscarriage. That was extremely hard. You know, all my grandparents died. All my wife's grandparents died. Someone stole money from us. I had, you know, knee surgery, clavicle surgery, and then, and I just kept on like, okay, I'm like, I'm really positive. I'm really optimistic. I'm, a, you know, real overcomer. Like that's just that's just who I am. I just keep fighting, and and that's great. I love that. That's resilience. All that stuff. And 2018, I started doing Catch the Wave. And we had amazing stuff happen. God was showing up, people getting saved on the beaches. And we're doing worship stuff and people getting baptized. And I I ran out Calvary Chapel, which is like kind of the mothership of the Jesus movement of the early 70s. Brought in Heidi Baker. And we just blew the place up in Southern California. And we had a coven of witches show up where uh, they brought a coffin with my name on it. And, um, you know, I don't, it's not a, I want to be aware of what the enemy is doing, but I don't focus on what the enemy is doing. But, But we as Christians can't have our head in the sand of what the enemy is doing. We're not intimidated by the enemy, but also I am mindful of how much attention I give the enemy because attention can turn into worship. but I definitely wanna be aware of the enemy's plans. That's just good military strategy, but I'm consumed with God. If he is for me, who can be against me? And so I'm like, okay, I keep plowing ahead. And then it was about a month and a half later after you know, the coffin thing that this witch cursed me that I would die the way my namesake died, which was my uncle Chad, he died in a, a, a car accident. And then I was in in October 2018, in a horrible car accident, I was. Uh, uh, well, I'll show the video here in a second, which will be a great. Everyone, I'm a tweener, so I'm an 81 baby. That's uh, that means I'm like a, a Gen Xer and a Millennial hybrid, I guess, or something. They call us tweeners. It's it's uh it's 77, 78 to 82, 83. And so, uh, anyways, um, I was in a pretty bad car accident. I was ministering in the Central Coast, California, and I was meeting Heidi Baker and Will Hart at 9 a.m. in Redding, California, the next day. So I woke up at three in the morning, drove through the Bay Area traffic. Um, I, I made it all the way through. I had two hours left to get to Redding. I had a forerunner, so I like slept in the back of my forerunner for like 45 minutes, and I thought I was ready to go. And I'm about 45 minutes away from Reading, and I fell asleep at the wheel. I actually pulled over twice, so I feel really good that I pulled over twice and was listening to my body. But I fell asleep at the wheel. What happened was, is I pulled over a second time. I was about an hour away from Reading, and I was just like nodding off. And I was like, you know what? I gotta just pull over. It's like eight in the morning, so I pulled over, and all I had was like 10, 12 minutes. Like, so I just. Went back to the Forerunner again, and I just closed my eyes. I didn't fall asleep. My alarm goes off, and I'm like, okay, I got to go jump back in the Forerunner. And about 10 minutes later, I fell asleep at the wheel, totally forgot to put my seatbelt on. Yep. And, uh, and so fall asleep. And I'm off the road. i gonna got cruise control, 75 miles an hour. In California, we go 70. And uh, so I was going five over. And, uh, but anyways... I wake up and I'm like doing this, my hands are off the wheel and I'm going right towards like a billboard, like a cement pillars. And so I jerk the wheel, I hit the brakes, I'm fishtailing in like the loose gravel. And I'm like thinking I gotta get back on the five, I gotta get back on the highway, I gotta get back on the freeway. And so I I do, but I was fishtailing, so I was a little sideways and the tires caught the asphalt and I started flipping. And that first thought while I'm flipping is no way is this real, like this is like a dream, like I just, you know, no pun intended, just came out of sleep. But, anyways, I started flipping and I felt fingers go across my torso, my chest, my legs, my head, and then the forming of a palm, which felt like a cocoon. And then I was knocked out. You have to understand that I had my longboard in the forerunner, so that was at like at head level. And then I had two other surfboards. Like when you have surfboards in a Forerunner and you're flipping, those become like weapons. So, anyways, um, I'm unconscious. I have an encounter with one of my angels. Don't worry, you, we all have lots of angels assigned to us, you know. So, anyways, I see one of my angels. He walks like like a football field away. Walks slowly to me, and when he gets to like three feet away, he smiles this big smile. And when he does, I come back to consciousness. And I'm sitting in my Forerunner, but I've got blood all over my back. I mean, I've got blood everywhere, and you'll see in a video in a second. Um, and and the cops are like, "We watched you. We were across the hallway. We watched you flip five times. You were ejected through your to the sunroof. You bounced on the five, and then you got picked back in to the Forerunner. Because I woke up in the seat." Like going, what happened? I'm like, where's my shoe? My, my foot was all bloody and I couldn't find my shoe. And I found my phone. My shoe was like 100 yards down the, on the road and all this stuff. I have a backpack that was sitting next to me. Like that was demolished. They found that like 100 yards. And so, I, you know, they were telling me that somebody up there must really like you because 70% of those that get ejected from a sunroof end in a fatality. So you can show the video. Hi, everybody, this is uh, Chad. There's my forerunner. Gone. These guys are kind enough to help me. Friggin' crazy. <laughs> yeah, friggin' crazy. That was about 15 minutes or so after the accident. Yeah, I looked pretty concussed right there. So um, I, I, they, I went to go talk to him. I couldn't talk to him. And I thought my teeth, like because I, uh, I couldn't talk, I had stuff in my mouth and I, and I uh, had five rocks in my, in my mouth. So I was just doing this. I had cuts in my mouth from rocks. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, but I survived. I had a pretty bad head injury. It was really sensitive to light for like a good four months. I would have uh, panic attacks. I'd have night sweats. I would have night terrors, watch a movie, and there'd be any kind of car chase scene, and I would like go into like your cortisol levels get jacked, and you're in fight, fight or flight mode. This whole deal. And about a month after my accident, somebody gave me a car. It, it, it Bless their heart. It was I call it the car of humility. It was a discontinued 2006 Seon. Yes. Anyways, you know it was a it was a good car. But I jumped on a flight to go pick it up, and it was only an hour-long flight. I fly all the time. I fly to Mozambique. I, you know, fly in the plane for 15 hours. You know, I've done. I flew over the North Pole from Dubai to San Francisco. Like I know how to fly on airplanes. I've flown over a million miles on United alone. And and so, anyways, I jump on this hour flight, and I have a full-on claustrophobic attack. Never happened to me before. I'm like freaking out throwing up in the bag. My peripheral vision shuts down. This is a month after my accident. So I go and see a psychologist that works with Navy SEALs that when they come back from tours of duty to assess if they have PTSD. And she goes, you have severe PTSD. So I'm like, okay, sweet. And this is one of the things that I want to hit. Is some of us maybe ha- are dealing with trauma Dealing with, with moments of disappointment, moments of hurt, and you need to understand that the moments of your greatest breakdown are actually an opportunity for your greatest breakthrough. The beginning of COVID, I had a dream. This was in April of last year. I had a dream and I was walking in a field with a buddy. And I see this well, and I approach the well, and on the other side of the well was John G. Lake. He was sitting down. This guy is a healing revivalist that was in the, you know, 30s and 40s. He was mentored by John Alexander Dowie. He uh, went to South Africa, came back. He ended up going to Spokane, Washington, where he started healing homes or healing, healing rooms. And uh, it was Dowie who started healing homes. But anyways, uh, they became the healthiest city in America and had documented over 500,000 healings documented healings. But anyway, so John G. Lake's in the well and he stands up and he tells me and my buddy, I've carried the healing anointing for my generation. You're going to carry the healing anointing for your generation. And he prays for us in this dream. And then I see this wave and I knew it was a wave of healing, but the crest of the wave said mental health. And I feel like that is going to be one of the marking things that comes out of where we we've come out of, and it's not just COVID. It's been, it's been working for probably about a good ten years, where God has been wanting to release breakthrough in the areas of mental health, that we're getting ready to have a like a healing wave of mental health. So, <clears throat> recovering from this accident. You know, I've had times, you know, in 2015 and 16, where it was like the first moments of anxiety in my life, have had a great life. I've had moments of hardship and stuff, but there was something that happened in 2015 where I experienced anxiety for the first time. And, you know, then dealing with PTSD, is just like everything gets compounded. And it's crazy when you're going through trauma, it's, it's, it's interesting because we, it's so important that we are present in our pain, but we don't get stuck in our pain. Jesus. And allowing God to just come in that place, to just break through in that place. And, you know, I was always known as the guy that was like the giant killer and seeing, you know, I remember in India seeing a guy with no eyeballs get brand new eyeballs. Like, and so I remember going with PTSD and then like going to some of my, you know, the, the people in Bethel and, hey, I'm struggling with PTSD. And then they would pray over me and I would see him like a couple of weeks later. I'm like, hey, can you pray for me again? And like, you're still struggling with that? Like you're Chad Deadman. It was almost a shame that it didn't work the first time I prayed. And I've seen like breakthrough in the suddenlies, but there's something about the journey that you don't have shame or condemnation, that actually asking for prayer is a position of power, being a powerful person. It's not being weak. It's being vulnerable. Because you have to understand I was, I was in the ambulance, and the Lord says to me, audible voice, Chad, this is a reset season. And I knew that what exactly that meant. It, mean, it meant lay everything down. Just let everything go and go into like a sabbatical season. So this is 2018, which was really a place of trust that I brought up in Romans. It was this place of trust that this was an assignment that God gave me, but he's asking me to let it go. And it's like, good, I'll let it go. I had an assistant. I had volunteers full-time. I had, you know, three interns from Bethel. And I just told them all in October, I've got to let it all go. I needed to trust the Father. And I went through this, this season of just like killing PTSD. The Lord told me, Chad, what I want you to do is I want you to establish a well of peace. I want you to build a well of peace inside of you in this season. So I would meditate every morning on peace, on on connecting with the Prince of Peace. Jesus. You want to know what the number one trigger for mental health is? It's sleep deprivation. And it says, this is before COVID, this was a study that they did in 2018, that 65% of Americans are sleep deprived at some level. Especially if you've got small kids, Amen. <laughs> preach. I'm <laughs> got. he's like, oh yes. No, sleep deprivation is the number one trigger for mental health, and there has been like a war from the enemy, and then also just technology. All that stuff stimulates us. Where you know we're we're as a society struggling with sleep. It's interesting that Jesus was asleep on the boat. You know, we, we, we've we all heard sermons on this scripture where the disciples are freaked out. They wake Jesus up. And what does he say? He says, do not be afraid, take courage. He dresses their fear three times. And then he takes authority over the wind and the waves and they cease. They're like, oh my gosh, it's amazing. And I've heard a lot of people, you know, preach on like, wow, like Jesus has that authority. We have that authority he, he was frustrated with the disciples because they weren't exercising in their authority. Yeah, that's all good. But when he was asleep, there was a storm. And Jesus is always doing what the Father is doing. And he was asleep. I don't think the message was about authority and causing waves to cease. I think it was a story where Jesus had a peace that was connected to the Father that you could sleep in the midst of a storm. And he was like, guys, wait, you don't understand? Like, you could have been asleep with me. Why would you wake me up? The Lord wants us to learn how to operate out of that peace, where you learn how to sleep in the midst of a storm. Some of us are up all night trying to take authority when he's just saying, hey, will you just have peace in me? Lean back. and get some sleep. Trust. And so I was in this season that was very similar to David and Ziklag in 1 Samuel 30 where, you know, he shows up, he's rejected by the enemy. The enemy's like, you know, it's a bad day when you get rejected by the enemy. Him and his mighty men, they're like, no, 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 we can't trust David, send him away. He's like, dang it, this is the, you know, the enemy of the Israelites, but also the Canaanites and all the other guys, all the other ites. And these guys are like, no, we can't trust David, his mighty men, send them away. So he goes back to Ziklag to find his houses burning, wives and children kidnapped, livestock taken, and his mighty men are turning on him to kill him, to stone him, and he, he strengthens himself in the Lord. So he drew on that inner peace. He drew on that place that he built a well with God in the cave. He reminds them of the vision, reminds them, hey, we need to go get back what the enemy has stolen. And half of his mighty men go, we can't go. Well, 200 out of the 600. We can't go. We're too exhausted. And David says, fine, that's great. You rest by the river. Us 400 will go and get what the enemy has stolen. And when they came back with everything, the men started grumbling and complaining, why are we going to give it to these guys? These guys were just resting by the river. And David made it a decree, made it a law, that everyone gets back what the enemy has stolen. And this, is a, this is a message not just for those that are in this church, but also for leaders, that we as leaders need to know the seasons when to rest by the river. It doesn't mean the enemy won. It doesn't mean the witches won that you're going to die the way your namesake and we got a coffin with, you know, like, okay, I'm going to shut everything down. That was a really close call. I don't want to tempt fate. No, I was actually not being motivated by the enemy. I was being motivated where God was leading me in a place of trust. They didn't win, but it's trusting in His timing. Oh gosh, I want to go deeper in the trust thing, but go yeah, go there. No, go there. we'll just we'll keep we'll keep going. Don't worry, no, they'll, they'll hit more. You guys, doing well? Yeah. Is this good stuff? Because this is kind of vulnerable, real talk for me. Hopefully, this will be good. So about six weeks in to trauma land, I'm at the prayer chapel, and I'm spending time with God, and the Holy Spirit says, he, he says, I want to talk to you, Chad. And I'm like, oh, that's why I'm here at the prayer chapel. Like, come and talk to me, please. Like, that's why we're here. He goes, no, no, I don't want to talk to 37-year-old Chad. I want to talk to 6-year-old Chad. And so I become a 6-year-old boy, and I see uh, Holy Spirit lead me to a place that looked like Yosemite, the floor of Yosemite. And it's a national park in California. Beautiful. And, and, and the Holy Spirit has an art easel with all these paints. And he looks at me and goes, it's time to do art again. So a little background of that is uh, my grandma is this amazing artist. She's a professional artist. And when I was six years old, she took me on the first art gallery tour of the West Coast with her. And I felt a lot of pressure to be an artist. My mom is the creative arts pastor at Bethel. It's my mom's mom. My mom is this amazing artist and I felt a lot of pressure, you know, to be an artist. And and I had some kind of like bummer art teachers that were pretty like critical at a young age. And so I began to self-sabotage the the creative sides of of me as a kid to the point that I was in high school and I took ceramics and I flunked. You have to have some extra self-sabotage to flunk high school ceramics. Like, you got to work really hard to flunk. And so I had this narrative that as I, you know, in my 20s, I got successful in other things and, you know, in ministry and all that stuff. And so I was just like, oh, yeah, you know, that, that's just not me. Like, I'm creative in other ways. And, you know, and so I just never picked up art. But if you were to, it was a giant that taunted me. And so... The Holy Spirit says, it's time for you to do art again. So I started signing up for art classes, and I began to discover wholeness. I began to discover breakthrough that I couldn't get in other places where on my journey of wholeness. Like I would find breakthrough in counseling and EDMR or EMDR, whatever it was called, and, you know, uh, all this different stuff. But there was something in art that brought a key, a breakthrough of wholeness where I would have to fight the the inner, you know, deal of, Chad, you don't belong here. You know, you're you're in this class with a bunch of 20-year-olds or a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, these guys have been doing art for so long, for decades and stuff like that. And and so I, I would almost, like, be giving me reasons why I shouldn't be there. And so... I started going to art classes and I, I discovered like after getting breakthrough that like uh, um, Stanford did a whole study about how art therapy heals PTSD. So this was my first, one of my first art pieces. <clears throat> yeah, that one, that was Awesome. That's Julie and I walking. Man, who did that? You're a really good artist, you know? You're just, yeah, so this was kind of like, you know, Yosemite floor. This is what I painted, and there's my wife and I walking together. And so this was CMD. That's my name there. And, uh, yeah, that was my first art piece I ever did. And I feel like to release this word over you guys, That some of you are dealing with pain. Some of you are dealing with disappointment, trauma. And I'm telling you, some of the the keys you have, God gives you many keys, many arrows to step into breakthrough. And I'm telling you, some of your greatest places of authority or your greatest keys, God gave you in your childhood and gave you through your family inheritance. Let's let that sink in for a second. And it's not too late to pick them up. 37 years old, it's not too late to pick them up. I started learning how to play the guitar. I started realizing how the power of your own voice, just to sing your own song to God. And I started discovering many arrows that brought healing and, and wholeness started building a well of peace. I started reading books like Brene Brown and, you know, The Body Keeps the Score, The Emotional Code, and started like realizing, wow, how much our soul and our bodies are connected, which we should be the leaders in modeling how to be connected to your spirit, soul, and body. Jesus. I mean, this is definitely, you know, Romans 8, 28. Whatever the enemy uses to harm us, God turns around for good for those that love him. He is a God of redemption. He's a God of restoration. And it's sometimes crazy when you're in the middle of your story. But it's so important to find your community to find people that will understand, hey, you need to rest by the river and I've got your back. I will go cross that river into enemy's territory and get back what the enemy has stolen. And then how to fight through where you begin to discover God in your pain and you get to the other side where you begin to walk in authority. but you need to have like one of the hardest people to forgive at times is yourself. And I'll be at airports and I'll be stretching and people will be like, wow, what are you doing? Why are you stretching? Or why, you know, especially when we're coming from the accident. And I'll be like, oh, I was in a car accident. I fell asleep at the wheel. I didn't have my seatbelt on. And you'll hear people just throw the shame. Oh, I bet you'll never do that again. I bet you learned your lesson. You know, and you're just like, no, I, but you have to understand that I had to go through a deep, I had a four-month-old and a three-year-old. And I'm like, wow, I made a decision that could have cost me my life where it would have robbed my kids having their natural dad. And that's definitely something to process and to get through, but then you begin to forgive yourself. Where when people try to lob shame on you, you're like, nah, I've already taken care of it. I've forgiven myself. There's no power in that shame. There, yeah. Adam's got it. <laughs> because I live in a place of the gospel where there is no condemnation. There is no shame. On, and that's what we're called to live in. Some of us, we put ourselves in our own prison and we've got, like Jesus is saying, get out. Jesus. Oh, man. Okay. I know, what time do I need to end? I need to end like child care gets done at what time? Ten minutes. Okay, good. Okay, then let's hit this. First of all, let's just do math. When you're going through trauma, you're going through, you know, different stuff. You're taking steps out of the quicksand. You're taking steps out, and you're gaining ground. And there will be times that you have episodes or you have moments of triggering that trauma and, and, and you take a step backwards. And the enemy so wants you to focus on that step backwards, but you have to do the math and go, whoa, two steps forward, one step back. You do the subtraction and you're one step forward. You're still ahead. And you have to change your perspective at times because you, know, you might be getting healed and walking through a place of wholeness and then you have a moment of, a trigger moment or whatever. And what's amazing is those are learning opportunities yeah. where you begin to learn. Like I was able, I'm able to now gauge in my body whenever I'm going through like an emotional thing, I'm like, wow, I'm suddenly hot all of a sudden. Or I'm suddenly, I'm losing a little bit of my peripheral vision or, you know, I'm, my heart's beating a little faster than normal. And then I could just take a pause where I don't get spun out and I begin to connect with God. And then I go right back in. To peace. I don't, I don't go, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? I thought I beat this thing already. I thought, you know, why did it get resurrected again? That's all that shame and condemnation. Come on. You count it all joy. Every trial and test and circumstance, you count it all joy that you get excited, that you don't get bummed out, that you go, okay, this is what the enemy's throwing at me. That means God's giving me grace to overcome this thing. Okay, I'm going to hit this thing because i got nine minutes. Because <laughs> we're having a little bit of a generational shift. And a generational shift of values where you had baby boomers that have, and every generation has something to give. And it's intriguing to watch the generations and how the, young, <laughs> the younger generations will react. They, they, will, they will react and they go to the other side of the pendulum. And so you have baby boomers that have this amazing work ethic. We crawl in. We don't call in. We're, we're, we we kind of struggle a little bit with vulnerability. Or, you know, we don't like, you know, back in the day, like my dad and my grandfather dealt with some like mental health stuff. And he told people, and they put him in the mental institution in like this, in the early 60s, and they did electric, electric shock therapy. Like back in the day, like, you know, they would call counselors quacks. We're going to go see a quack. What's wrong with you? You must be really, really messed up. There was almost this shame to go get inner healing. And then you have millennials that are on this track of like, no, 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 I'm going to take care of my heart, that I'm going to invest in my emotional well-being, which is amazing. But you'll see some people that will go to the other side of the pendulum in their pursuit of wholeness and emotional health, they become very selfish, Sorry, am I stepping on some toes? (laughs) It's about being in that radical middle, being in the middle of, oh yeah, of course, like do unto others as you would have them do to you. It's gonna be really hard to love others if you don't love yourself. So take the journey of wholeness, but understand it's a kingdom principle. If you are looking for breakthrough in wholeness, you will find it in counseling and inner healing and EMDR and float tanks and all that stuff but you become super interested. Meaning getting your eyes off yourself and getting on someone else saying, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I know what depression feels like. Joe's going through depression, so I'm gonna make it like my aim where it won't be just about me, but I'm gonna fight for Joe's breakthrough. I mean, it's a, it's a healing principle. This is a kingdom principle that I found in the ways of healing. So when you're dealing with people with, that have been suffering for a long time, I go, Hey, have you prayed for somebody else with that cancer? You should probably look up other people that have, you know, stomach cancer and you should go pray for their breakthrough. Why would I do that? I'm in the one that's in need. Bingo. You need to go content. And it's always amazing to watch when that person gets breakthrough. Either that person praying celebrates. They're like, oh my gosh, Joe, you're healed of stomach cancer. That's amazing. Or God, why them and not me? and just revealed their heart. But it's so important that you contend for other people's breakthrough. If you feel like you're stuck in pain or trauma, you need to contend for other people's trauma. You need to contend for other people to get breakthrough. And this is my ending story. Jesus. So Catch the Wave 2018, Calvary Chapel. This lady was there. She got rocked. That was August 2018. She came to town in December, about six weeks after my accident or seven weeks after my accident. She contacted my wife. My wife's a realtor in Reading. She goes, Hey, I want to buy a house. I want to use you as a realtor. I want to invest in a house in Reading. And I want to take you and your husband, Chad, and me, out to dinner. And so she tells us about Calvary Chapel. She says, I had an open vision when you were speaking, Chad that God said that you will take my husband surfing. So I'm like sensitive to life. I have like a migraine, all this stuff. Like I am this, in this world of mess, this world of hurting. And I look at her and I say, hey, when I am better, I will take your husband surfing. So what happened to him, he was riding his mountain bike uh, in a bike lane in Southern California on a Super Bowl Sunday. This next Super Bowl will be four years, I think it was. You know, it'll be four years. And uh, a truck, a, a drunk driver, Driving a truck, ran him over. He didn't have a spine injury. He's not a quadriplegic, but it's a brain injury where his brain does not fire. And so he can't move, he can't talk, but he could blink. That's basically his only way of communication. But he can't move his neck, he can't, there's nothing, you know, but he has involuntary movement because it's not, there's nothing wrong with his spine. It's just his brain does not fire. So she says, will you take my husband surfing? And I'm like, hey, when I am better. So I go through like my season of like building this well of peace, killing PTSD. And I would say probably by April or May, oh man, this is a little bit of a side story. This would be hitting the zigzag thing of you need to have friends. I'll never forget. Like I am so indebted to this guy. You know, like you, and this is the trust thing. So you have to understand he is the redeemer and, it, and that it's not about the designation of like him giving me this assignment about catch the wave and, and that, you know, I'm just like saying, no, this is my assignment. And there are times when you are resilient and you hold on, but then there's times when God asks you to let go and it's a place of trust. And so I did that. Like, you have to understand, I started selling solar. Okay, okay. <laughs> Like I was like just showing up to church as a member. Like it wasn't I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't in ministry. I was just like, hey, I'm taking a sabbatical. I'm resting by the river, and I don't know how long this season is gonna last. And I trust the Father in this season. <clears throat> so I was scheduled like a year before the send in Florida. Lou Engel uh, asked me, hey, will you be one of the, like the people that pray for evangelism and the harvest and all this stuff? And and then my accident happened. I told Lou, I'm like, hey, I'm not gonna be able to make it. Well, Casey and Jeremy, they went to Colorado, and and Casey's like, hey, man, I know you're going going through a hard season. I've got extra miles. I want to just fly you to Colorado, and we're going to meet you. And so I took a picture of being on the plane. This is my first time on a plane since my PTSD, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to test out the PTSD. And I had no claustrophobia, all that stuff. But I took a picture of me on the plane. And people were like blowing up my phone, you know, like DMing me, like, "Oh my gosh, are you at the sand?" Like, because and I didn't realize that he invited me to this epic like guys' weekend where there's like five of us or four of us, and 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 everyone's thinking, "Oh my gosh, you're going to the sand and all this stuff," and I just like cried tears of joy that he, that this would be so uh, a kiss from heaven that I that this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be preaching in front of 30,000 people. I'm supposed to be with some brothers where I could rest in the river and they're going to fight for me. And I feel so secure in that place. that it's not my identity that I go, you know, to speak in front of 20,000 people. It's a part of my assignment, but I trust in the process. It's about trusting God in the journey that he wants to go with us in the journey. He doesn't want to use and abuse us. He's not like some CEO that's like, hey, get the job done. Like, no, he wants to go on the journey with us. So back to, I go through that. That was a big one to help. I think that was in February. And in April, pretty much PTSD was pretty much gone. It was amazing. I mean, like it was big. It's a big deal. And uh, August, I found myself, like, organizing, taking this guy surfing. And we have this big, giant board. You can put the picture up. And so this is this is his wife is holding him up. That's me in the blue shirt. That's my buddy, Dana. And that's my buddy, Jason, in the back, which Casey knows. But that's Lori and Steve. So Steve was the one the accident. I mean, you know, it, it, I mean, it's crazy, like, Like, if he falls in, we're in trouble. But we got three waves. And it was the most epic three waves ever. And I loaded them all up in the van, and they took off and left. And then I suddenly remembered the dinner that we had in December. Like, they took off. Like, yes, they got some waves. It was amazing. It was awesome. And then they take off, and I'm in the parking lot at the beach. And I go, and I suddenly remember, I looked at Lori, his wife, and I said, when I am better, I will take him. And I just crumbled to the ground, and I just started thanking God, I guess I'm better. (laughs) And I'm telling you, you need to test. You need to go and help others, and it will bring moments of closure, and it will bring moments of wholeness. It will reveal what, what you have to give. That's one of the ways that you don't stay stuck in your pain. Go help others in pain. And it'll actually bring you to a place of breakthrough. So Jesus, I know that a lot of people have dealt with loss in this last season. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a loved one or maybe, you know, various different things but I feel like God wants to restore and redeem and that you would begin to trust him again and that when you go through the doorway of trust, you begin to discover the God of hope that brings you all peace and all joy. So just put your hand on your heart and just close your eyes. Lord, I just pray for anyone that's dealing with trauma. Anyone here that's dealing with sleep deprivation, anxiety, depression, PTSD, anything with mental health that it would bow before Jesus. And that you there would be a healing anointing in the room. And the places of pain that we cringe at, that we hide, that we dismiss, we minimize, That we would begin to understand that you would give us your perspective, that that is actually an invitation for breakthrough. It's an invitation for a greater level of wholeness. And Lord, I pray that you would begin to reveal brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, our spiritual family that fights for our breakthrough. That we would know the season in which to rest by the river and the seasons to look at our brothers and sisters and say, Hey, I'll go in the enemy's territory for you. But Lord, I pray that you would reveal the many arrows, the many arrows that you give us to step into wholeness. We break off shame. We just, we, and we speak to anyone that is, a, is beginning to be a part of their identity, their pain, their trauma. We say that that's not who you are. That you would know that you're a son, that you're a daughter. And that you carry authority where the enemy has tried to steal, kill, and destroy. He's given you authority.